from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is The Good Atheist. Welcome to The Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. I'm Tom Badger. Now, you've probably by now have uh, heard Tom on the show a few times. He helped me with the telethon, which so you would have uh, seen him or heard him for like 12 hours. Yay. But uh, not everybody is familiar with Tom, so let me give him a nice little introduction. So Tom is, I'm trying to think, he is he my oldest friend? It's hard to kind of gauge at this point because I've known him that long. That's how long I've known this man. He... It's really been far too it's, long. It's probably far too long. It's, it's <laughs> at that stage where you're just like... Whoa. He, they have way enough. too much influence on you and you on them. Like, you start saying something, like a saying, and then they say it, and then they, they make a saying, and you can't stop saying it. You still talking? I'm still talking. All right. So, what's great about Tom is that he knows so much about me that this is going to be a good time to... Um, do a little digging because on this show I have it's very much my pleasure to make a huge announcement uh, if you have not been on the site and you have not read this uh, any of the updates as many of you probably have not I finished the book the book is done holy moly the book is done holy <laughs> so, moly you know that thing that I kept on fucking talking about for seven years of just talking shit uh, I did it. I slayed that dragon. It took me two years. I wrote, I guess if I had to estimate, probably about 160,000 words. Not that that's how long the book is, just you do multiple. Most of the words were bad. Most of the words are always bad. Well, I, I, here's what I thought. I thought at the eve of the show I would tell everybody about those wacky, wild experiences. And now that things have freed up a little bit... Because, you know, I, I was starting the show back up, but we're still having a few, let's say, minor technical difficulties, if you will, uh, or hurdles. A better word would be giant hurdles to climb that are constantly needing to be climbed, but, you know, that's a different story. So we're going we're gonna to skip all that, and we're instead we're going to just kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kind of like a lowdown on the weird and wacky experiences that I had. So this is the Bible Stories uh, bonus edition show. So by the time the book is a big deal, which will take, I don't know, a million years or something. <laughs> but by the time it is, you'll want to listen to the show because you'll be like, what? What did what's it take? The, what's the skinny? What's the skinny? And, and what's great is that Tom has been part of some of that skinny. He, he wasn't part for the, he wasn't there for all of it. I, I did spend some of the time in Toronto writing the book. Uh, part of it was it's still written in Calgary. But you were there for it. At least a good chunk of it, if not like a major chunk. I, I witnessed the tortured artist torture <laughs> labor over his yeah his wares, writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and going nuts over it. Yeah, well, it was it was a it was an experience. Let me tell you something. What's it like writing a book? Would you recommend it? <laughs> you know, a lot of people talk about writing books, and I think that it's a great impulse. Writing a book is is. Probably one of the coolest things you can ever do, really, because it takes this idea that you have, and or this voice that you have, because really writing is about crafting a voice, and the entire time you're having someone just read in your mind. They're inside your brain. They're, who, who is they're tuned this in. alternate Jake inside your mind, writing or reading? 
Who is, who, that who is the alternative? Yeah. What is he like? Is, is he, he a Morgan is? Freeman kind of voice? Is he uh, some high school teacher that is wagging his finger at you? Honestly, it's more it's more Morgan Freeman style that I <laughs> if you when if you listen to the audiobook, I, I do very straight the whole thing because I wanted to read like fairy tales. Um, I don't know if you if you ever listened to this. These these were highly influential on me when I was a kid. They had these audio cassette tapes about. Um, fairy tales from like, Mm. you know, sort of like the uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, but they were terrifying because the sound and the audio was all very real, but it was like, and the giant scream, you know, violently, like the guy who put it through, I'm like, it sounded like you wanted to fucking murder him. Kids imaginations, man. They go wild. Yeah. They go wild wild because there's no, there's not even any pictures. So in your mind, it's, you're going to see the craziest thing if you want. But I just love those, the fairy tale audio. It felt like the Aesop's fable. And I wrote the Bible stories as a kind of fairy tale book. You know, that's what I, if you open it and there's a map, and a map is drawn like a Lord of the Rings style map of like <laughs> ancient Israel. Because I was like, I, I want to set the tone here. When you read this, I'm making a very clear statement about what the Bible is. It's a fucking book of fairy tales, okay? And there's a bunch of tiny, there's a ton of surprises. See, that's the thing about I, lo- I like about writing a book is it gives you an opportunity, like I said, you're in someone else's mind. So you take them on a little journey, but you're, it's a very controlled journey because, I mean, at this point, I'm just saying some fairy tale I'm obligated to fucking repeat. But at the same time, you're like, I, there's tons of jokes that I wanted to include. Like, remember the drop trowel? Drop trowel. You know, it's been trending. I heard Colbert say it. And all of a sudden, <laughs> when Colbert said drop trowel and I, I knew told him put it in the fucking book, I was like... Thank you, Thomas Badger, for forcing me to put the drop trowel in Classing up this Bible stories left and right. <laughs> it was, well, you know what? It was, it fit, the, I couldn't come up with a better term for it. Really, mm-hmm. it just fit perfectly. So, Tell us about the drop trowel incident. I thought that was a pretty good mini story. Oh, the, so this is part of Judges, and this is when um, Ehud is basically uh, sent to give the tribute to the king i'm trying to think is he a mobite king anyways his name is eglon and he's very fat and the thing is is that (laughs) apparently ehud is a benjamite now they believed that one entire tribe the benjamites one of the smaller tribes were all left-handers all of them Hmm. very unlikely right it's a little unlikely yeah yeah but it's a little sinister (laughs) right a bunch of sinistrals but the the legend was that they were very that, that was a huge advantage because if you've ever done boxing, for instance, if you fight someone who is a mirror opposite of you, it will fuck you up because he's used to fighting guys that are right-handed, but you're not used to fighting guys that are left-handed. So he has an advantage, and he's a, he straps a gigantic bowie knife to his leg, uh, and he puts it on you know his, his right uh, or his left thigh because they figured no one's going to, or no, his I forget which thigh they don't check. I don't know if you want to have it across from you or what the fuck the deal with is. I'm not an expert in sword placement, let's just say. Not important in the area. But will never check my other leg. <laughs> of course not. The pat down involves one leg. You one fool. leg only. Yes. So don't they, waste time on the other leg. It, they're, they're very busy people. So he brings the tribute over to the king and he tells the king, I have a secret message for you. So That sounds like it's on the up and the up. It sounds pretty up, up and, and up, up, right? I think it's on the up and up. And uh, the king's... He sends his guards away. He's like, okay, well, I want to hear the secret because it's got to be a pretty good secret. And the juiciest secret require the least amount of uh, safety, I guess. So as soon as he's like, he kind of gets up to hear the secret, 
uh, Ehud pulls out his knife, stabs it in the fat dude's stomach, oh boy. And who falls down and basically shits himself, because they're out in the balcony, if you want. And then he locks the door, and then just escapes. It's not very clear how he escapes. But as the guard come back, and, they, and the door is locked, and they can smell an awful smell, because I imagine that such a large king holds quite a bit of liquid. In his entrails. <laughs> and, and everywhere. Okay. And they were all, you know, going out. So they, they assumed that he was dropping trowel. And that is, that's kind of like my nice, I get to use that in a f- dirty fairy tale story. Because the, the Bible is very dirty. That's the thing you got to understand. It's a dirty fairy tale involving rape. Well, this is what I think is... And infanticide and genocide and, you know, you name it. <laughs> this is what I think is so kind of different about your Bible stories. It's not just pointing out the... The factual gaps or the there's tons uh, illogical, of books like that anyway, yeah there's so. tons of books like that. I mean, the stories are really actually kind of funny and interesting and silly. And I think the way you've written the book kind of brings to light these the the real stories. It's very thorough. The, the book that you wrote is very detailed. I well, don't think you skip much. There there, there wasn't actually. Uh, I think that in the because the the thing that I did if you if you. Um, are, you might be confused when you read the Bible stories because it ends at the beginning of uh, 1 Samuels or at the end of 1 Samuels because I've divided the Bible up into an epic trilogy because, and that is where you ended. I'm not going to give you the no spoiler alerts, but it ends on a cliffhanger. Hey oh, and it, don't you want a cool book to end on a cliffhanger? That's how. We, that's what you want, right? Cliffhangers. Stay tuned for BS two. Right, and and so I kind of went with that whole theme. You know, I want to make it entertaining. I, that challenge was to make it entertaining, but the bigger challenge for me was saying, well, rather than try to point out the flaws, because, like I said, there are, you, you you know we discussed there are many versions that are already out there to do this, uh, doing this. I thought, why not make sure that I'm thorough enough so that you remember all the stories? Because the hilarious part of all those entertaining stories is that nobody really actually takes the time to know what the fuck anybody did. Like, if I tell a person, what is the origin of Purim at Purim dinner? No idea. I can tell you that most of the people there have no fucking clue that it involves basically a, a pogrom against 75,000 uh, people who were the enemies of the Jews. Whatever... Kind of put that in whatever brackets you want, hmm. but uh, they, it was a cleanse. Let's uh, let's just say oh, okay. uh, authorized by Xerxes. So happy holidays, everybody. Hmm. <laughs> that's some dark ass shit. That's hidden in the. That's just hidden there, and it's hidden. I think in a in a pretty interesting way. One, if it's in the King James Bible, you could say the poetry of it is often, you know, quite taking. I mean, do you know? I, I it, it is the it is the most sourced. Book in the world for our own vocabulary. Is it? It is. And wow. And you just kind of yeah, I know. And well, it's because it was the most distributed book you know, of all time. And and the guy who did most of the poetry for that, this guy called William Tyndale, was a amazing poet. But the problem is that the words may be very beautiful, but it is nasty what it's about. Like <laughs> that's the whole point. You're like, oh, what that was beautifully said, but uh, that's fucked up. That's really fucked up. And then he droppeth trowel. Right, exactly. Well, the way that they kind of hide that. See, most of the time when you're reading it, it it's, it's, it's presented in a way that it's not really being clear about it. They don't want to be honest. Like even Songs of Solomon, which is going to be in the second book, it's all innuendo. 
It's like, oh, I want to taste your apple and grapes. So I, I, I did research <laughs> and I found that apple meant you want cock. A, you want a what? And grapes meant balls. Okay, that is what? the literal translation. <laughs> I want to eat your cock and balls. It's right there in the Bible. It's just that they used anyway. Never, I can understand <clears throat> grapes, but apple, really? Yeah. Aren't there other fruits that are a bit more phallic? I, I guess, but maybe they didn't have the cucumber back then, you know? <laughs> or the banana hadn't made it from they, the They had the chickpea, uh, some lentils, uh, you know. I don't know if they had a lot of long dick-like vegetables, so the apple. And, and I, I suppose it's, it's just because it's, 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 it's sweet or something. Anyways, oh, man. Oh, man. There, may be, there may be other reasons. So sometimes it, the, the reason is more cultural than anything else. Like it, Again, you're trying to drown this in innuendo, so you can't even make it too clear. Because it's some fucking crazy ass porno, yo. Wow, it's a pretty hardcore shit. Like, and the the song begins even as, as Solomon being like, "You're my favorite whore of all the whores that I have." Because you're my favorite. You're my fucking favorite. I can't wait to eat your ass out. Can't oh wait. Boy. Oh boy. So it's 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 that's sort ludicrous. of like. That's that is the that's that's kind of like the source material that I'm so, trying to be honest with. Though. What's what seems to be the case is there there's so many different versions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's the Aramaic texts, there's the translated Greek texts, there's very few of those, hundreds of the versions, way, original hundreds and hundreds of versions. Mostly, mostly what you have, because the thing is, we, we have very few original texts, and that's the weird and fucked up thing about the Bible. Because anybody could say, oh, point to the, you know, you, why don't you make it about the inconsistencies in the Bible? And when you realize that, say, the King James Version, that itself was translated from certain Greek manuscripts, are copies of copies of copies of copies. And because of that, inevitably, there are, there are always mistakes that creep in. There was a guy in the 17th century, I think his name was John Mill or something. Um, he set out to try to retranslate, if you want, all these Greek versions and to see what kind of mistakes might be there. We wanted to see well, what is really kind of the original text. How can we kind of reconstruct it? And well, that's interesting because even today people are still asking, well, how do we know it's it's translated correctly. How do we know what we're reading in, say, English uh, is really what the author meant? Well, there's a lot of interesting ways in which people go about that. And the thing about the Bible is it's so studied that there are branches of kind of, you know, just entire fields about how to analyze certain texts in terms of analyzing uh, how it was written so that you know when it was written. Because Hmm. as time went on, the, the, the way that you write changes. Which is not, I mean, it gives you a 50-year gap because it's a general age, how long somebody will live, for instance. Again, you're dealing, this is not a precise science, okay? This history (laughs) business. Doesn't sound like it. No, no, it's not. So what what did this guy find when he looked at the Greek? uh, Well, he had, he had, he only had a few hundred. Only a few hundred. um, (laughs) Well, that he, manuals that he used. And I think that he came up with 30,000, like, you know, in discrepancies between all the volumes that he had hmm. translated. Now, the thing is, we have wow. mu- many, many more. We have now probably hundreds of thousands of documents, uh, or, or maybe fewer than that, maybe tens of thousands. But the thing is, no one has actually done a comprehensive analysis of all of those to date because it's just a lot of work, and I don't think that there is a lot of interest to go and demonstrate just how many flaws there might be <laughs> in copies and copy, uh, copies of copies of copies. But we know it's astronomical. Some some it's people that just because again this is one of those things that people like to throw numbers around. Where you could just say, 
300,000 is one. Yes. <laughs> and I laugh at that. Only 300,000. There is absolutely no way. Because I'm sure that Mr. Mill was a very thorough guy, but he didn't have computers. And even he will make mistakes, okay? But the computer properly programmed, well, nope. It's meant to correct that. You can put that in algorithms and shit. It's pretty fucked up, actually. You know your internet works on some of the most uh, brilliant algorithms to autocorrect shit? It's like... We live in a world of correcting in the digital age, but not, uh, not so much ancient copies that used to be done by people. They, they suck. Human beings are not good copiers. Nope. And plus, there are Bibles where fucking people have drawn penises and all kinds of fucking <laughs> shit. Because guess what? They were bored and you think they believe that bullshit? Huh? That they were forced because daddy said, you either become a priest or you go fucking sweat your ass in the fields. What are you going to do? The lowly monk forced yeah. to transcribe Bibles for ten years. Ten years 20, if you're lucky. Maybe Thirty. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and you just fucking hate every word <laughs> by now. I mean, I get that feeling. I mean, I had retranscribing the Bible, if you will, was the hardest thing I've ever done. You actually had to read it over and, and over and, and over. over and not just read it, but understand like where is this place and who are these people and what is going on like. What is the context of all of this? Because sometimes I try to introduce some of those elements inside. I don't always do it. I mean, it's difficult. But I'm trying to give everybody a bit of a, a kind of a context. Like even in the map I mentioned, there is, I did, a, I found ancient maps about where certain peoples lived in those maps. And I put them there. I try to be as accurate as I could in a fantasy-like realm. Because that's all you had. Once upon a time, you had, you had snippets of some history. And then you mythologize that shit to try to make some sense out of it. And that's what you're left with. Good luck with that. Good, <laughs> good luck with that. But that you don't start talking, considering it history, really. And unfortunately, we have lived in a world in which many... Like, the, history has been... Had kind of suffered from the same problem that, let's say, medicine suffered before they really started to treat it like a science. Before, when, when historians would show up at certain sites with Bibles in their hands, expecting to find certain cities that weren't there... <laughs> <laughs> not history. Oops. Not good history. <laughs> not and, history. And the general consensus, by the way, of Jesus' existence comes from the bulwark of that, of saying there's a c consensus that he existed. Yeah, among a lot of bad historians that we haven't bothered to kind of go and correct. There's still <laughs> a lot of work to be done, you know? Still a lot of work to be done to get the history closer to the truth hundreds of thousands of errors in our prime text right so you know what i didn't want to focus on those i think that there's a huge amount of talk on that and that's great what i wanted you to do was i, I wanted to tell you what the stories were about and to get some laughs out of you so what that was the when you went through the bible you didn't go verse by verse and try to translate every single one how did you decide what to keep and what to kind of actually summarize? no I, I actually i did do it verse by verse i rewrote it Verse by verse, and I only but losing the parts that you, I didn't. You glazed over. There's only bit. a few sections I glazed over. The the only sections I glaze over are, are the parts that everybody hates. The genealogies I get rid of. <laughs> There's no point. I mean, I might include it as a little footnote as one of those kind of asterisk things if you wanted to know some little detail or not. But generally speaking, that doesn't matter because your the stories are really what you need to be aware of because these are the these are the same people, by the way, that are. The, the, the behavior is being upheld as some kind of moral uh, moral guidance. They're like, oh, I read the Bible for moral guidance. I'm like, are you serious? You read this? I have calculated that roughly, just roughly, there are at, like, I, in my own Bible stories, part one, there are at least 17,000 rapes. 
At least 17,000. That's a lot of rape. Okay, 17,000. And that's, uh, there's probably more than this. So, uh, I don't actually know if there's any book of fairy tales with that much rape. You wow. know? No. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of rape. I mean, just a classic example is at the end of, is it the end of Josh? Uh, yeah, the end of Judges, the Jews start fighting one another. Um, kind of a civil little war, I guess. And uh, the Benjamites, who have an advantage, are kind of killing everybody. They're having like a really easy time at basically killing everybody. And the reason why they want to kill the Benjamites is some obscure, they didn't show up to fight at one of our genocide meetings or whatever. It's just a bullshit reason for them to fight. <laughs> mm. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, so during the fight, they, the, the, the Jews kind of go bl the blood crazy and they kill almost every single Benjamite except for like 600 of them. In like the, who have to go hide in the cave until like the bloodlust is done because they're just chopping down their kids and their fucking wives and shit like that and they're just so dead. Violent. And so by the time they finish and they cool down, they're like, oh shit, we've just annihilated one of our tribes because we swore to ourselves that we wouldn't allow them to marry our daughters. So now because they're forbidden from marrying any foreigners, they're all going to die and there's going to be no more Benjamites. So they decide, well, what do we do? Well, they discover a solution. <laughs> there was a town called Jebesh, I think that had failed to come to, um, um, you know, like, war. So they're like, okay, we'll kill every male and then take the women. But there's 400 of those, so it's not enough. So what they decide to do is at the next Passover, they're like, well, any of the men can hide in the vineyards and grab any of the women around that come for the party <laughs> and you can keep them. You can keep them. And we won't make a big deal out of it. Just do it. <laughs> do it quick. Get out. So that's right there. That's six hundred rapings. If a guy's only taken one, yeah. if he's not being greedy, so you that know gives you an one idea. guy <laughs> taking two or three. Just one guy. <laughs> you know, there's one guy. This guy at the vineyard, he just went nuts. <laughs> he took four or five women. He was just yeah. So uh, that's just an example of the level of rape there is in the Bible. So that's phenomenal. What what's another story that when you read it? You know, maybe for the second time or third time, you realize, holy cow, this is actually in the Bible. I think that some of the parts, actually, that I find the most fascinating, and I, I really wanted to put emphasis on this, is when Moses and Aaron, in the very early beginnings, they're fucking up a lot. And God is basically, that's it, I'm going to kill everybody. And they're like, whoa, God, don't kill everybody, or else the Egyptians are going to basically say... Oh, who is this Yahweh character? He takes these people out in the desert to kill them? What a what kind of fucking God does that? What a joke. <laughs> so they tried to embarrass God into yeah. keeping them alive? Pretty much. <laughs> so, or, or just basically saying, like, look, you're, you're not going to be glorified. Because the thing you have to understand, and this is, this is kind of like <laughs> the whole ten plagues of Egypt. Listen, Yahweh, let me, show you how, let me tell you how it is here on earth. The, the, whole, ten, the whole ten plagues of Egypt, and I can defend this uh, theologically, the whole ten plagues of Egypt are not really about getting the Jews out of Egypt. They're not about that at all. What they are about is showing God's power. Because many times when basically Pharaoh has accepted, God literally hardens his heart, makes changes his mind for him so that he can perform all these other miracles so everyone will know his fucking name. This is what the whole ten plagues is really about. It's, it's, and it's probably like one of those, well, how many plagues are you going to do? Well, you can't do three. That seems lame. Yeah. What about five plagues? Eh, it could mm. be a coincidence. Seven? 
Uh, it's getting closer. Yeah. Warmer. Warmer. Yeah, eight or nine. Yeah, well, just one more. One more. One yeah, more. ten. Yeah. All right. Ten yeah. plagues. That ten sounds plagues. like that's a nice round. I mean, it sticks in your mind. <laughs> the ten Twelve seems to be agreed. Ten plagues. We'll yeah. stick with ten. Deca plague. So, it, yeah, well, it's basically that. It's just a really great marketing uh, gimmick, and it works better if you have, like, a, a number that, uh, you know, sticks in your mind. So it's really just about that. That's one of the shocking things. The other shocking thing I find is also, like, at one point, <laughs> Everybody's really kind of losing it over Moses and Aaron because they're stuck in a desert and periodically God is killing some of them like for complaining. Like at one point they're in the desert and uh, and basically they're can like, I have some water, sir. They're like, I I could sure use some meat. Remember back in Egypt when we had all the meat we want we could eat because they they all want to go back to Egypt. They're like, we have been watering this fucking desert. We had it pretty good back there. Why <laughs> where the fuck are we just gonna die out here in the desert? We we we've eaten this shit that falls from the sky for like ever, and I just want to have a steak or something. There's no know? meat here. There's no fucking meat. So God's like, oh, they want some fucking meat, do they? Oh. So what he does is he sends a flock of birds to them, and they all die kind of like instantly near mm, their feet. So they were like, meat. all right, let's eat this, and everyone Ooh. who eats the meat dies. Yeah, because they get apparently. So it's like, meat. well, there you go. You wanted meat. You got some fucking meat. Here's some rotten meat. They're like, are you, anybody My else creation. want to complain? Anybody else? That's that's God's attitude. And the next time they were like... He's so temperamental he's in his so, early, early oh, days. Oh, he does not take he's any so temperamental. Guff. There's a few times where he... He's touchy. He's a touchy God. There's a few times where he does allow someone to give him guff. This is surprising. Sometimes Moses is like, you know... He, he questions God a few times more than he should. Like, God's like, all right, I want you to go talk to the Jews and, and, and convince them. And he's like, I'm not a good speaker. Don't send me out there. He's like, I know a good mouth when I see one. I made them, all right? So just go out there. And Moses is like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm going to suck. He keeps on saying no. So finally, he's like, all right, you little bitch. I'm going to get your brother then. Fuck. <laughs> Change of plans. <laughs> My creation is so yeah. timid. And then you're like, hey, this omniscient guy seems to be changing plans a lot. Does he know what he's doing? Does he know what omniscient is? Because I don't does think he, he does. Does he know what he's doing? <laughs> he changes his mind. That's He changes his mind so many times. Flip-flop. He's a fucking flip-flopper. <laughs> At one point, it's kind of funny because he's just been like, I'm going to kill you all. And then Moses is like, you know, he, he convinces him of something. And then, and then he says, you breathe. know what, Moses? You're my friend. This is great. We're friends now. You're just like you were one step away from annihilating the entire people. And now you're buddies again. What kind of buddy is that, man? It's like you ever have a friend back when you were a kid who was a really big bully, but you just but at any point when he's, he's yeah. a softy. No, no, I didn't mean that. I mean like he's he wants to punch you anytime he's happy, and you're just kind of like, oh, I hope he's not really happy. Yeah, like a beaten dog. That's basically what the Jews are—the beaten dogs of kind of like the religions, right? Yahweh is a very cruel master, very cruel. He does not like you like another god. So what are we supposed to take from that story? What's the moral? What's the intended moral of that story? The, 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 the story is meant to try to explain why the Jews were basically fucked over from every empire that jammed a stick up their ass. Hmm. From the Egyptians to the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the uh, Persians to the Seleucids to the Romans. Do I need to, to the British? Do I need to go on? I mean, it's like a long list, right? So eventually... When you're kind of like, what's going on here? We we apparently had this deal with this God who said that if you just follow our rules, I'm going to protect you with my invisible barrier. So either there's no God that gives an invisible barrier, or we did something wrong. Well, we must have done something wrong then. Must have. Yeah, that was the right conclusion. Yep. And we just got to double down on this. Double down. 
So we're obviously the worst thing gets, the worst we've done. So we deserve it. Really, that is kind of like the fundamental thing that is just so maddening about the whole book is that, oh yeah, we deserve this. This is fine. And, and this is the part that annoys me about these guys who say, well, atheism is this moral relativism. It's much more, this Bible has this objective morality. I'm like, how is there objective morality when a capricious deity chooses who he can kill righteously or not? So murder is, is, not, an, is not objective if you can step outside of these weird rules. So I'm sorry, but that's not objective. Definitely a capricious deity that says, I want every Amorite murdered because they piss me off. Kill them all. And if you don't do it right... Like some crazy mafia have done. Yeah. And, 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 when I, and if you don't do it right, I'm going to curse you and your entire generation, which is basically what happens to Saul. See, he didn't kill everybody. He kept the king alive because the king basically bought his freedom, I suppose. And they took all the cattle that was really nice rather than destroy everything as God had commanded. You know, waste it murder everything no Smart rather rich. he was like well we're gonna his, his here was his logic he said well we're gonna sacrifice these animals to yahweh later so i figured it was no big deal to which samuel's like you're, you're fucked you're you're not gonna be king anymore because you didn't follow the rules exactly so you're fucked now oh you're so fucked man and you're gonna of, be so pissed you realize that i'm like I'm, I'm kind of on saul's side here because that makes you're gonna kill this thing anyways you need some food okay and you you just you genocided everyone minus one. What's he gonna go do, huh? Start a new people? No. Is is he a queen ant? Is he just playing Sim City with us, <laughs> really poorly? It kind of feels that way. It feels that way. So here's the thing I learned though throughout this whole journey, if you want, is that what was difficult about it is that uh, as opposed to what uh, let's say let's say your first book that you write is a, a kind of story that you always wanted to write. Yeah. Right, it, was, it comes from your from you. Well, this was not kind of a comes from you <laughs> book. This was a it's going to sell. People were requesting this. Just do it because that's the book you need to write. So I didn't do it as necessarily a labor of love. So instead, what I had to do is I had, you know, I had to kind of like bite that motherfucking bullet. Originally, I was going to make a, a very short summary of the whole thing. Hmm. It was almost going to be like a much deeper wiki. But well, what changed when you started writing or when you started researching more? Actually, there was a there was a conversation that a fan had of mine who was uh, who had listened to some of the prior Bible stories and I had gotten some of the facts wrong, as sometimes happens. And uh, he didn't like that. And I maybe maybe you know I, I thought about it and I was like, well, I don't want to get the tiny details wrong where that's where a person says, oh well, your book's no good because you got uh, the detail of Aaron's uh, ascension or, or death scene wrong or something. And it would just be like just some way that they could nag at you. And that's, all, that's what I didn't want. I didn't want somebody nagging at me of being like, you know, it could have been better. So I was like, I'm going to take the challenge of trying to write every single fucking line I can. Like, I even wrote poetry. The same, I retranscribed their poems. I was like, fuck it. This would be like Lord of the Rings. There's poems in Lord of the Rings. There's poems. I, did, I skipped them all. Did you ever read the poems? Yeah, I did. Poems? They were long. I did not like the poems. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of the poems. He sure liked them. His little songs. I'm like, there's only three poems in the book, and I swear. There's like, what do they call there each different? They're not stanzas. What do they call there for each? Verse? Verses, yeah. There's only like pff, ten in the longest one. And they, they rhyme. They're like the cheap kind, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, the, that's the bullshit rhyme I like. I like the kind of rhyme, sorry. 
I'm lame. Stretching uh, your poetic license a little bit. Yeah, well, sometimes let's say that I don't always rhyme well. I'm not a I'm not a great poet, <laughs> and I know it. Yeah, I used to run faster until I ate some pasta. <laughs> yeah, that level. <laughs> well, no, maybe a little bit higher brow. A little, uh, a little, little higher brow. A little. It's up to the fans to decide. Yep. Really. Now, speaking of that, now everybody who's listening right now has an opportunity to go to the site and buy this book. By the way, the ebook, and I want to stress that because we have not yet gotten to physical copies. Because I'm not magic. <laughs> I sometimes feel, actually, that people must... They just assume that you're magic. They're like, well, you finished writing the book. When's the book coming out? Well, ebook's cool because as soon as you're finished, the, the actual text is done, the artwork is done, immediately it can be out there. Not immediately, no. See, that's the big fallacy. Because now you have to put it in a format that people can read and that actually makes sense. Uh... So the problem was... I, you know, I had a delay for a long time because I had to... And, and not every version that you make is compatible with another version. I had okay. to make an iBook version, an EPUB version, Mobi version. Uh, luckily, some of them are able to, like, you know, transition. But all of a sudden, it's like I'm going to have to make a different version for the print copy as well because they don't... It won't translate perfectly and stuff like that. It's a nightmare! It's, this is why they have companies who do this... <laughs> Whole companies. It's like when you're a writer, you're just like, oh, I, I wrote the manuscript. Here, publisher, you publish this now. Yeah, see, Your turn. I finished the manuscript, and I'm like, here you go, Jacob. Ah, <laughs> oh, I don't want to work. It's not my job. Oh, wait, it God, is. It's, all right, let me put on my publisher hat here. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> and, and I'm the worst employee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, try to, get, try to get quality work out of him when it doesn't involve uh, an artistic process. You can't fire your publisher. He'll take the author with him. <laughs> and the artist. <laughs> I would fire myself if I could, but, uh, you know, the, he brings something to the table that cannot be easily replicated, this guy. <laughs> something. I can't put my finger on I it. I can't quite put my finger on it. So I can't fire him. And, and he has too many jobs. It would, the truth is, I, he needs, like, an assistant. Why am I, keep, why am I talking myself to the third person here? <laughs> I needed an assistant, but... There's no time to train one. There's no money to pay one. Uh, That's a one-man no one man operation, this whole thing. It's a one-man show. From the art to the writing to the researching to the I publishing. Have, I have obviously some friends that help out do, you know, to help me spell check and edit a bit. Um, you know, Tammy helped with the book. Uh, obviously, you know, we're not perfect, which is why usually they have teams of people editing stuff. We, we're, I'm hopeful that the people who read it, because this is still a soft launch. I haven't, I have like, I'm trying to give myself maybe a month or two to finish a, getting the physical public, you know, physical version right. Because I'm assuming I'm going to have to print a test copy and, you know, there's a ton of things. It's not like, mm -hmm. do I want to print 200 copies wrong? Huh? When I don't have any fucking money to do this? <laughs> no, I do not. So, yeah. But it's still a legitimate book. You have your ISBN number and everything. Mm -hmm. Woo! And I'm, because I'm a publisher now, I get to like, you know, um, do this for everything else that I've done. So I'm, I mean, like I did the digital version of the of the DVD, which I'm gonna kind of tighten up a little bit. I mean, it it was a slightly unfinished product. I was maybe ninety percent done, and then I had to move on to the book because I had spent too much time on the DVD. <laughs> I think I spent four months on that, like a fucking <laughs> idiot. You know, I remastered the artwork. I did like a cool cover and remastered the audio so that like it would be like machine gun joke style. Nice. Right. Why did I do this? <laughs> because I learned a very valuable lesson. Don't promise. Don't overpromise when you do a campaign. Never overpromise. I won't do it's that. A lot again. of work. A lot of work. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, the big the big thing that I kind of 
am worried about is obviously there have been people who have supported this book and I have not filled it exactly as is, right? There's still many things to still do. Uh, I haven't made the physical version. I still need to mail out probably about a hundred of these puppies that have already been sold. There's no money coming in. This has already been spent. And the first thousand sales, I don't get any money from that. That's all debt. I have mortgaged a year of my future, even my relationship with my friends and my family to finish it because I wanted to finish it. I want, you know, like I talked about having a book for how long? Uh, a long time. Forever. A long time. Forever. At least, at least 10 years of fucking talking smack about wanting to write a book. Book one, under your belt. I mean, I started the podcast because I knew I wanted to write a book and I wanted to find an audience for that book, but I just didn't know what the book was going to be about. So what this is it? the fulfillment of that. This is seven years to fulfill. This is the day where that gets fucking fulfilled. So I hope you're all excited because let me tell you something. I will say this with all pride is that you will read it and you will love this fucking book. It will be the best 10 bucks you fucking spend. I'm telling you. And then when I finish the audio version and then get the fucking final physical version, all this other stuff that I have planned for later when I release further editions and then finish this whole trilogy, you will... You'll be like, this was, uh, this is something that we made happen. You're, you will yourselves be proud if you were the people who contributed. At least I hope that's how you see it. Because I don't want you to see it the other way of being like, where's my shit, yo? <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to spread the word? What's, what, what does the next uh, season look like? Um, well, you know, I'm going, I, I've, I've sent the book out to all these, you know, the big names in the scene waiting to see if they're going to read it and provide some reviews. Because already, if you know, you have a big name that says, hilarious. Fuck, man. Hilarious. That's, you're going to get a shitload of sales from that. Uh, but the thing I'm kind of planning on is this, the, the, the thing that I've been talking about before, which was this book tour idea. And, uh, you know, I've been, me and, I've been, I've been kind of training you, Tom, <laughs> for this moment. <laughs> I have, because the telethon was a bit of a training event. Telethon. Yeah. When we did a 12-hour fucking live streaming event. <laughs> 12 we, hours is a really intense endeavor. 12 hours. 12 hours. We don't, we're live, not, the book tour is not shows. a 12-hour live show, by the way. <laughs> that is not what I'm doing. <laughs> it's going to read it all twice. I just thought that... I, once in his normal voice, once in a God voice. You know how I sometimes have uh, really great ideas and sometimes I have really stupid ideas? <laughs> well, not that this one was necessarily stupid, but I just thought that the gimmick of a telethon would be so hot... That it could have its own... No, that was dumb. We got phones standing by. <laughs> we don't have phones standing by. <laughs> yeah, what was, that, what was that slogan I kept saying? Operators are not, are not standing, standing by. by. <laughs> 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 and we didn't make much, but we learned a lot. And I'm hoping to use that for the tour because here's yeah, what I plan to do. My plan is to basically do a tour where I can live stream these things. Now, I, maybe you've been to a book tour and you've kind of seen what book tours are like. It's just a person who stands in front of a podium and reads a couple chapters of their book. I'm not going to do it that style. First of all, I kind of want to make it a show. You know, like the show I always fucking wanted to do. Uh, the, 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 the interview slash musical guests. You know, the kind of thing that actually Johnny Carson used to do really well or he had a good show he had a great show or even somebody I admire more was like Dick Cavett who just had some of the most interesting people on his show and I watch his interviews today I don't watch a lot of old Johnny Carson shows because it's celebrities alright Dick Cavett used to fucking talk to intellectuals you know he'd talk to like one of the best interviews is him with um, Orson Welles 
It's fucking amazing. Uh, he wasn't a humorist. Was he wrote he? he wrote for years, actually, for Carson. And the funny thing about Dick Cavett, actually, is that he'd always get a show. And because Johnny was just so amazing, he'd always lose that show because he couldn't win. You know, <laughs> he can't win the fucking late night wars <laughs> no when there's Johnny Carson on because everybody's just watching Johnny. Here's Johnny. Here's oh. Johnny. No. Oh. But he still produced an amazing wealth. Like, go on YouTube and look for Dick Cavett interviews with maybe some of your favorite intellectuals. You go, you'll find them. And they're great interviews. Like he, he's smart, he's funny and witty, sharp. All the all the things you want in a fucking interview. And I want to I want to combine that. I want to have people on, and give like really sharp interviews, not super long because I only want my shows to be about an hour. But I want to have an interesting guest, have a good like twenty minute discussion about something that's interesting, and then have a musical guest. And then at the last part of the show is me reading from the book, and I have a few little gimmicks that I'm not gonna reveal just yet. You know, because it's, it's kind of like the shock value thing. <laughs> not, I don't know if shock value is the right word. But anyways, I want people to have something to look forward to. But I'm going to, my plan is to do the show, record it, put it out there, and then do it as a campaign. A small campaign. Like essentially saying, I have certain goals that I need to go to certain cities. You know, if I get, say, a thousand, I can get to New York, for instance, or or three thousand Chicago. You know, depending on the cost of where I can set up and that kind of stuff. I haven't worked all of this out by the way so those are not the numbers that we're going for <laughs> but nevertheless I thought you know if I did a show the, the thing is if, if I did a show and I bring my books with me that people can come and buy it this is how I think we, I can spread word I want to pound the pavement with this thing I want to print out copies and go there in person to fucking hand them out I just don't want them to sit on Amazon fucking waiting I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting, waiting on my email, being like, well, how come nobody's buying it? Fuck it. I'm going to go out, print versions, pound the goddamn pavement. I want to sell a copy a day myself of the physical version. Well, you are the PR guy as well. Yeah. <laughs> I am the fucking PR guy. You are the PR guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm not 100% happy with this work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this, this story of, of the book isn't over yet. It's uh, No, unfortunately. It's just begun. It's only just begun because we have two more books. Uh, that are going to come out. So, because I was so thorough with the Bible, and it wasn't just a, you know, me just summarizing, uh, it was going to be way too long anyways if I would have written it as a single book, and it would have taken me another two years. And I was gonna, not going to wait that long. <laughs> Besides, this is, you know, Christianity, man. Threes? You go in threes. Everybody loves threes. <laughs> and the thing is, I can't sustain your interest in a 900-page book, okay? You're not going to finish a 900-page book. Sorry. That's you, just too long. You need, you need, you need, uh, I, I'm breaking it down, okay? And part of that means that you can't, uh, you can't read, uh, too much or your brain will go fry fry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's more to come. There is more to come. So God Strikes Back, is that the next one? God Strikes Back is the tentative title of the second book, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> after, strikes back. see, basically even at the beginning of the second book, which is when David comes along, it doesn't take long for David to fuck up. And for basically the Jews get smacked down, which is basically part two is the Empire Strike Back version of the entire Bible. So I've decided to keep with those themes, man. Though I have a goal. It's a very fucking ambitious goal. I don't want to release the second book until I've sold um, at least 5,000 copies. Keep in mind we've already sold 500 in pre-sales. And also keep in mind that there are 6,000 of you that are listeners. Now I know that I'm not going to sell all of those to you guys. But I'd like to sell it to half of you. 
I really think that you guys have been listening if, to if it that could, long. If you could just mention it at your church group, that would be really helpful. Or maybe just a few. You know, I had one guy who's like, when's the physical version coming out? Because I want to buy five. That's how much he's liking it right now. So I'm sure some of you might buy more. And that's going to be great because that is, that's going to be really what makes the difference. The book now is going to be the way to support me. You know, in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm phasing out the whole 300 stuff. I mean, they, it was amazingly helpful to keep me afloat as long as it happened. But now, obviously, everybody kind of like, you know, a lot of people left. And I didn't want, necessarily want to make the most interested and hardcore people have to pay to be part right. of this group. That doesn't seem like the best way to go about it. I have something that you can support me with now. It's a book. And it's good. It's got art in it that I've fucking worked on forever. Tommy Boy is in uh, chapter nine. You're, 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 uh, you're bodyguard number three. Yeah. <laughs> Immortalized. Well, most of the people who are drawn are very rarely the main characters. I try to put them as side characters because they have big bushy beards. <laughs> so, But there were a few people who actually uh, had sported beards I don't know if it was for the book itself, but, uh, you know, they, their glorious beards were included there. So, uh, <laughs> you, hilariously enough, you had cut off yours. But I, I drew you as a 1990s version of you <laughs> from a very famous photo of you know, a group of friends that we always poke fun of. When 90s we, business guy. When we went and we were trying to set up, we, we, we dressed up in suits. This is when we were trying to do web design in 1999. Uh, we, we, I dressed up all my friends in suits and we were like, we're going to take photos because me and Carlos were going to do a site. And everybody had to do the business thing. So, you know, fake phone call, uh, handshakes Handshake. in a hallway. Windy courtyard of an office tower. <laughs> it's <laughs> really so windy, windy. So windy. So there we have horrible stock footage of us as business guys. <laughs> it's just so great. At the time, <laughs> we were hilarious. not trying to be funny, but... We ended up being no. hilarious. It's just funny on its own. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like one of those treasured pictures. Oh, look, here's me in a suit. I look ridiculous. <laughs> and like I do one where I'm jumping like a madman. Remember that? I actually <laughs> split my pants on that one. <laughs> oh, the things we've done. Yeah, well, the wild, the wild and wacky adventures, which, you know, the, the thing I'm looking forward to when the book is done is all these other projects I really want to work on. I, I mean... I did a I did that pilot there the uh, bellhop thing it's just mm-hmm. kind of a, one of the many different little scripts that I've been working on you know here and there for a little while but couldn't fully commit to anything had this book kind of on me so a lot of plates spinning a lot of plates spinning and you know even though for now the the cool thing is that I already have 70 fucking thousand words written of the second book yeah. of course I'm going to have to rewrite a lot of it but that's, it's easier to rewrite words that you've already written, man. That's the easy part. <laughs> it, it, it sounds, you know, like the best advice that I've ever read on writing probably comes from Neil Gaiman, so it's a very good source. And he said this. He said that when you write, never write when you're inspired because it's not going to happen. You don't write when you're inspired. You just write. You just need to get the words on paper, get the idea there. You can always fix it later. And the thing about you know, as time goes on, when you read your book again or you read what you've written, you there will be no way that you can distinguish between what you wrote when you were inspired and what you wrote when you weren't. So in a sense, it, you know, like really what's much more vital is for the words to kind of come out so that you can start improving them. <laughs> the <laughs> relentless effort that needs to be done in writing. It's, a, it's kind of like a book is done when it's been rewritten three times or at the at the least, I think the Lord of the Rings was rewritten seven times, if you can fucking believe that. Wow. <laughs> How many words is that? How long did that take? 
I don't know. 12 years or something to write that fucking... Mm. I don't know. He, he spent a long time working on it, let's just say. His friends must have been real sick and tired of hearing about that book. <laughs> well, but you know what? They were probably sick and tired of hearing. So before he wrote that book, he did not read... He, to write a book about fantasy, he didn't read other fantasy books. This is another thing that people sometimes mistaken. He, I, what he read was he read stuff on uh, mythology. He hmm. read uh, Finnish mythology, all this other kind of mythology, which he included in his own. And in a sense, I kind of like, for me, rewriting Bible stories taught me a lot about writing fiction. It was like a crash course in writing fiction. And you, you probably know this, but I have never been a big fan of fiction. Up until I had to fucking write my first book as one. <laughs> oh, no. That's funny. That is life. Life is doing that thing that you didn't expect you were going to do. Like, rewrite the fucking Bible. Become an expert in the Bible. Yeah, well, in a humorous way. I wouldn't put myself at the level of expert just yet, but in terms of certain elements of it, I would say that I'm at least on par with most of the kind of uh, theology, you know, like the, most of the preachers or clergy people that I talk to. There's even some people that I've talked to who were, uh, you know, clergymen that aren't aware of all the different kinds of, um, you know, Bibles and stuff like that. I met, I, I talked to this one person who didn't even know that there was a, a Dore Bible. Like, you don't know that somebody who's the equivalent of Leonardo da Vinci was drawing a whole Bible with amazing art? In fact, my, my book cover is a fucking Dore. And the last drawing is a Dore, or at least a, a rip-off. <laughs> Did I mention it's easier to draw something when somebody's already drawn it, and you kind of just get inspired by it? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I'm, I'm really good that way. Well, you know what? I think that pretty much... That pretty much wraps up the little bonus thing. Bonus! The Bible. I don't want to reveal... The book is I mean, out. The book is out. And now, it, it, the kind of... The ball is in your guys' court. I mean... Like I said, I kind of mortgaged a lot of my future on this thing. And, but the deal is I'm really proud of it. I didn't think I would be. I was very, very worried. But by the time it came out, I'm like, it just seems to flow. And it just... It, it came together at the very last moment, I swear to God. I, it felt complete... When I drew the map last, mm -hmm. and I was just like, "Holy shit!" When I reread it that second time, remember I said I needed to reread it again. When I reread it with that, it just just made sense. It just popped. I was like, "Oh, it's that place," and it's I can see it on the map, and it's great. And I was just <laughs> like, "This is working," and this is gonna fucking work. And you guys are again gonna trip balls on that shit. I mean, spend time looking at the artwork. Minimum fifty to sixty hours per dry, probably, maybe a few less. But some of them are just insane, like. And I used all like a tiny, the smallest marker I could. If I could use a micron marker, like half a, you know. What was the thickness of that pen you had? Point, point zero, zero, five <laughs> millimeters. Hey, oh. <laughs> and the almost error. the entire thing is inked with that because I didn't want to take any chances. Because the thing is, I didn't edit these in a computer. These are all hand-drawn <laughs> Because I wanted to kind of like, it, I wanted it to have that old look that you cannot replicate on a computer. I'm sorry. A computer makes it too perfect. There are lines, there's residual little pencil lines, imperfections. I give you the imperfections. I don't want to take them away, per se. I think they belong there. Because once you see the imperfections in artwork, that, it, that signifies something important in your understanding of art. That's the good thing. I, I leave the imperfections so that you can see where I go wrong and learn from my mistakes. That's what's great. If you hide them, you who can learn? Who you can't learn from a perfect drawing. You can only learn from something that's fucking flawed, in my opinion. <laughs> yep. Know what he did wrong or she did wrong. That's the fucking key. So, I thought 
No, I'm not going to edit these. I mean, I, I might have taken, like, if there was, like, a smudge of, you know, like, a, a big eraser chunk that you didn't know was that <laughs> still on there when you fucking scanned it. Oh, great. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But, yeah, it was, it, I just wanted to put it raw, and it's the first edition, too. Raw and uncut. It's the first edition. There's gonna be there's gonna be some mistakes, and I'm hoping that some of you out there who spot them, by the way, you're more than welcome to fucking uh, point them out. I'm I'm sure that by the time I re put it on the paper for the fourth time, we're gonna do it right. But I mean, like, I think you guys will be surprised. I mean, eighty seven thousand words is tough to get them all right. There's <laughs> <laughs> probably a couple uh, errant words in there. Well, if, if people who, who, who copied the manuscripts of the Bible kept on getting that shit wrong... How many penis drawings are there? Oh, good question. I don't think I included any penises. Okay. No, okay. but there are two boobs. I think that's the right. exposed boobs in the opening, but uh, I didn't include any willies. No willies. Because I just feel like the thing is, in, in those ancient art, if you include the dicks, they made them purposefully small. <laughs> to not uh, to not take away attention from like their muscles and yeah, that kind of stuff. It's all about modesty, right? Right, exactly. You don't want to put a guy who has a huge giant, you know, dick because they realize it might fuck with uh, young men who might feel inadequate. You know, kind of like modern porn. Very considerate. Just to like poor young men who do all kinds of wacky things to their penises in the vain hopes of, I don't know, injuring some poor woman's vagina with it. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeesh. Oh, that's a different discussion for another show. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to leave everybody with that, and I'm going to ask them to go to the site, goodatheist.net. There is a place to go buy the book, and uh, your support begins here. So please go out and buy the book, because that, that's going to help make everything else possible. And this is it, guys. Can you believe it? We did it. We fucking did it. Bravo. All right, well, with that, my name is Jacob Forte. I'm Tom. Have a good atheist day, everybody. Um, this isn't really a, this show is basically about me, so we don't need a lot of research. No, no, we, we, we really don't need a lot of research. We already did the research. You've known me for uh, a couple days now, I think. A few days. A few days. Some a transient. A few thousand days. A few thousand. A few thousand. A few thousand days. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, it'd be more interesting. I've known you for more than 10,000 hours, so I guess I'm kind of an expert. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> there you go, expert on. Jay. I've known you for ten thousand hours, and uh, you haven't become an expert in anything. What's going on, buddy? Uh, well, no, that's not true. I'm an I'm a, I'm an expert in um, how to mooch from people. Pretty good at that. Nice. <laughs> Pretty good at mooching. Pretty good at mooching. You gotta admit it. No, it's a skill. You know, yeah. it becomes like you are the best. I am the best at mooching. <laughs> you are the best. I think that all all artists are great moochers because they couldn't have really done any art had they not mooched, you know, unless they were, I don't know, like a rich daddy's boy. Or One something. might call it the prime skill of being an artist. The prime skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you good at begging? Super good. <laughs> you better be fucking good at begging. The best. Yep. Some say I'm the best. We want I, I, the top rank 
And uh, the, the key thing about begging is that you have to make it seem as though, really, it's not the person doing you a favor. You're actually almost doing them a favor because they have this kindness quotient that they need to fill because their day is probably completely and utterly filled with bad and evil actions. Let me unburden you from some of your money. Right. I, I unburden, unburden people you. from your wares. This is what I'm really good at. <laughs> <laughs> you have too many wares. I know. I know. And you need to be unburdened of these. Thank you. You're welcome. You can thank me later. Any chat. Wait. Okay. Are you ready to do the show? Mm -hmm. That'll be good bonus material. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me do a clap because it's actually easier. <laughs>